<laughs> okay, we'll go ahead and open up our uh, weekly Bible study. And uh, what's today's date? Uh, 23rd of uh, July 2006 and uh, just some current events that I've got here I got a couple things this week I get tons of stuff every week but uh, these are just a couple I'm going to just talk about this week briefly the one I've got this is um, um, breaking news Methodist to confirm Catholic theology in Seoul, I guess Seoul, Korea, the World Methodist Conference is expected to sign a joint declaration on justification, signed in 1999 by Catholics and Lutherans. Um, and again, what basically they're going to be doing here, and I'll skip most of this, but it says, this is a, uh, a quote, I believe. Should the World Methodist Council express its intention to associate itself to the joint declaration, it would contribute to the reconciliation that we ardently desire and would be a significant step toward the objective of full and visible unity of the faith. So in other words, it looks as though you're going to have Catholics, Lutherans, and now Methodists signing joint declarations. What, what is it? Well, the, Bible, the Antichrist said, the Bible says that we've got to have a one world religion in the tribulation. So, this is just more confirmation of this all coming together. I didn't see anything other than this being released this week. I didn't really see, I mean, I'm not saying nobody's condemning it, but it's almost like a foregone conclusion anymore. I got this email, uh, which I was, actually this is up on... um, RaidersNewsUpdate.com, which is a really, really good site to get a lot of cutting, cutting edge stuff. Um, a guy that has the site is a guy named Tom Horn, and he found this um, article that was entitled "Days of the Dead at Cornerstone Christian Youth Camp." That's what it was entitled, "Days of the Dead." Quote. He's in this. This is um, this is a covert witness of what happened at Cornerstone Festival 2006. This is owned by quote, the, the Jesus people USA. This was July 4th through 8th. It was in Bushnell, Illinois. This, this Days of the Dead Christian Youth Camp took place. Now, I, when I read this, I, I'm up, I've been doing this week after week, month after month, year after year for a long time. I put this down and, 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 and I, I was even absolutely stunned at what I'm about ready to read you. I, I was, as much as I see, this floored me. For it to floor me, it's got to be pretty bad because I see so much. The camp is held on 500 acres of land with a reported 25,000 youth, 25,000 kids from churches, seminaries, and Bible colleges in attendance. Um, I'm just going to try to hit the high points here. Now, these people that went there um, were basically going there as Christians almost undercover. They were going there to, to see what was going on, to document what was going on, and also give out flyers exposing what was going on. And they they go on to say here, the Lord provided a way for us to walk in absolute freedom there and to do research covertly, meaning undercover, and distribute 500 fact sheets of the um, uh, Christians, um, the, the fact sheets were entitled CBE versus the Bible. The CBE means Christians for Biblical Equality. Evidently, that's where they were getting their teachings from at this at this conference. 
So they put these on the cars and they, they gave them to the people there, these, these fact sheets. Um, when they got in there, evidently, when they got there, these these people that were there to, to kind of, uh, they were there covertly, these Christians, most of the people in the conference were gathered with other, quote, Jesus people watching a horror movie in the, it was called the Imaginarium Tent. In this horror movie was being was being um, watched in celebration of the Days of the Dead. Now this is a Christian youth camp. Okay. And they go on to say, does that sound like Christian? Um, many people were shocked at what they had heard this week on some of the teaching. Articles um, are are coming forth. What they were doing is they were combining all these different New Age teachings with Christianity. Now I'm going to be getting into some of those. Um, and they go on to say here that there's no way they could have got into this place and done what they did and distributed these flyers under their own strength. We started we started off and, and ended the days with prayer and the Bible reading. So in other words, they're giving God the glory for being able to get in this place, which truly, you know, that's what it really all boils down to. We don't, we don't have a prayer going into the future unless we're doing it through the Lord. So I was glad they did that. Um, so, he goes on to say here, It's obvious the Lord does not like being called Mother. I smile as I write it because He certainly provided a chance for us to distribute every single fact sheet with no hindrance at all our last night there, while, while, while they watched their horror film. Um, Evidently, they were they had a part of there where they were calling God Mother. You're, you're, I'm seeing this big trend now where they're referring to Mother God. A lot of it, a lot of it in. in um, I went over that last week a little bit too. It says we were greeted. Now, when they went in there, we were greeted by a hard rock Christian singer who wore a T-shirt reading, "quote." And this was on the T-shirt. This is a hard rock Christian rocker. His T-shirt read, "Kill it before it kills you." That was what the T-shirt read. That, that was how we were greeted going into this conference. We never had seen so many teachers, teenagers dressed in black in our lives. Nor had we ever seen so many tattoos at all in a Christian camp. These are teenagers that have tattoos wearing black. Sounds like a gothic event. Um, but hey, anything goes anymore. Um, we were taught that it is common among saints to levitate. Now, levitating is when, you know, you you're, you're basically, you raise up, you see magicians levitating people. Now, if you're at a high enough level in black magic, black magicians can levitate, meaning they can come off the ground and it doesn't look like there's anything between them. Well, let me explain how levitation works. If they're, if they're at a high enough level in the occult, the spirit world which is around us is much more real than our, than our physical world. And if they've acquired enough demonic powers, what is it for a demon or a fallen angel to help raise them off the ground? You don't see the demon or fallen angel. Big deal. Do you know that's how a lot of people get involved in the occult? Because I've read this account before where like, they'll go to this occult working and the occultist who's high up, who's trying to recruit the people into the occult, will say, do this incantation and maybe make a table rise off the ground. Or a piece of furniture rise up. And they'll say... Wow, I want that power. And that's all it takes. Now, can you imagine Satan thinking, all i got to do is raise, raise a table, levitate a table off the ground, and this guy's going to be 
bought it by this hook, line, and sinker for the rest of their life, damned to hell forever and eternity because he raised a stupid table off the ground? Who cares about a stupid table being raised off the ground? God created the universe. He created us. He put breath in our lungs. And, and we're, to, we're to compare that to some stupid thing like that? But that's how people are so willingly ignorant of God who is so much more obvious to me. All you got to do is wake up. The sun, the stars, the universe, how our, how our atmosphere is just the right composition that we can breathe the atmosphere, that that, that can sustain life. Do you think that all happened by chance? How the water's here we need, the food's here, all these things are here. They don't think about any of that. But if they raise some stinking table off the ground, oh yeah, they're, they're, they're a hook, line, sinker, they're sold for life. It takes so little from the devil many times to damn somebody to hell it's unbelievable. I've witnessed that many, many times over the years. So, so then he, it says, we learned that Gandhi was more Christian than he knew. Gandhi. Gandhi. The head of the Hindu religion. There was a quote I had re- recently sent out on, there was a, there's a thing now that's prevalent in the alternative healthcare movement called urine therapy, where you drink your own urine. For health reasons, because well, it passed out of you, and and um, and it's healthy to drink what's passed out of you because it's it'll it'll um uh they've got all these convoluted and I had to actually put together an email where I rebutted the whole thing of urine therapy. I was I couldn't believe it, but a lot of Christians were coming to me saying. I don't want to do this, but they present they present such a convincing argument about urine therapy. And I said, all right, after about the third time this happened, I said, I'm putting together an email. So I sent it out to my whole Christian email list on urine therapy, debunked. And what I showed them is that where does urine therapy originate? And it originates in Hinduism. People that are involved in high-level Hinduism drink their own urine. Specifically, if you want to go to the part of Hinduism that it came out, it came out of what they call Tantric Yoga. Now, yoga is also part of Hinduism. Tantric yoga is the worst form of yoga. And if my mom were hearing this, she would, although I've told my mom this before, she recoils in horror. Because I tell her that tantric yoga, which is a part of yoga, is called sex yoga. That's what tantric yoga is based out of. It is one of the most vile, debased, perverted, nasty things that you could possibly ever associate yourself with. In fact... The Ordo Templar Orientis, which is a very, very, very highly occult group that Aleister Crowley not founded, but he revived it. Aleister Crowley being the wickedest man on earth that used to sodomize little boys and brag about it, and then he'd kill them. The Ordo Templar Orientis bases much of their teaching out of tantric sex yoga. What they believe about tantric sex yoga is so vile that I can't even repeat it here. I can't. It wouldn't be appropriate. It's, it's like the Bible says not to even discuss the hidden things of darkness. This would be one of the things you wouldn't even want, want to discuss. Suffice it to say, part of tantric yoga, and not the most vile part, because there's other parts that are more vile, is drinking your own urine. Well, they also eat their own feces, too, if you get to a high enough level. Eat your own feces, drink your own urine. Okay? They think this is all therapeutic. Health. This is what this is what gets 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 put into the new age alternative healthcare movement, which I came out. I never did any of that junk, but I came out of a lot of the new age stuff, which most supposedly Christian 
doctors or chiropractors or whoever are still into. I am a board certified acupuncturist. I don't advertise it. I've got my I got my board certification. I graduated from the University of Miami with my board certification in 1994. I don't advertise it. It's not on my business card. I used to do acupuncture. I don't do it anymore. Why? Because it's based out of Taoism. Taoism is yin-yang. Taoism is that little symbol you see, yin-yang. And what that is representative of is like fire and ice, good and evil, light and dark. And they believe everything has this balance. It's just one more new age religion that's going to take a lot of people to hell. So I just, I don't do it at all. Well, yes, but acupuncturists help people. Yes, I've seen acupuncture help people. But you know what? I would much rather err on the side of safety and not do something that I know was founded out of a demonic thing and have God open another avenue for me to help somebody where I don't have to worry about imparting any demonic baggage to them. You know those needles that come from Korea that you get the acupuncture needles? They're all blessed before they come to us in the States. Oh yeah, they've got guys that actually bless those needles, and I think they pretty much all come out of Korea, most of them. Who knows what kind of curse you're imparting to a person. You're piercing their skin. You're doing this. I, 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 I burned my... Uh, I believe I burned it. Got rid of my diploma the whole nine yards. I don't even... I don't even have uh, any vestige that I'm, that I'm doing that. I won't do it. But anyway, getting back to the urine therapy thing... This is part of Tantra Yoga. And then when it says here, I learned that Gandhi was more Christian than we knew. One of the thi- Winston Churchill had a famous quote. Not that Winston Churchill is somebody, that all those guys at that level are basically of the Illuminati. But Winston Churchill had a quote where he had said something to the effect, and the guy sent me the quote where when he had met with, with Winston Churchill, Churchill had this quote about Gandhi where it was something to the effect that skinny little runt that started off the day every day by drinking a glass of his own urine. I always hearken back to Gandhi when I think about when Gandhi's mentioned, because he drank his own urine too. What kind of demonic baggage are you imparting to yourself when you're drinking the waste products coming out of your body? Who knows from a spiritual angle? Will every glass more demons come? I don't know, but I sure wouldn't, I don't even want to go there. So anyway, they're saying here that Gandhi was more Christian than he knew. And then it says, we were also told, and I'm getting back to this article now, how saints like St. Francis of Assisi, which is a Catholic saint, experienced miracles from God, such as levitations, and many saints had experienced levitations. Now, evidently now, we're going to look toward levitation as a sign that you're really right with God now, that you're going to do this occult thing and you're, and you're right with God. And then they were saying it was a common practice among the saints for them to levitate, which is a lot straight from the pit of hell. Someone raised her hand and added, it reminds me of the weird stuff in some charismatic circles like the Toronto Blessing, where people were getting slain in the spirit. The teacher warned, I think I have made it clear that we have no right to judge such experiences. Well, that teacher's a liar straight from the pit of hell. His theology... Because the Bible says, He who is spiritual judgeth all things. And Jesus himself said, Judge righteous judgment. Not hypocritical. Righteous judgment. To discerning both good and evil. Okay? Why? Lest we be ignorant of Satan's devices. For he get an advantage of us. 2 Corinthians 2.11 That's why we judge. If we didn't judge... 
Just think of a day without us judging at all. Just think of that. Well, okay, just... Uh, I know I know that, that stove looks hot, but I'm just going to put my hand on it anyway. Oh, yeah, I, I know, I know that, that um, uh, you know, this and that, and, and, and you know, I, I know that um, I'm on the road, and now I haven't looked over next to me to see if there's a car next to me, but I'm just going to go in the other lane anyway. You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm coming up to the stoplight, you know, and, 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 and I know it's, I know it's red, but I don't think any cars are coming. I'm just going to go right through there. What if we lived our life like that? We judge all the time. We have to judge in order to survive. Well, well, you're telling me, when Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged, he was talking to a hypocrite. It said, you look at the start of that, of that chapter, it says, ye hypocrites. It said, it said, you have a beam in your own eye, but you look at the, at the speck in your brother's. You can't see to judge rightly anyway. Cast out the beam in your own eye so that you can judge rightly. So see, that's what that's in reference to. But this teacher says we have no right to judge such experiences. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. We're supposed to rightly divide the word of truth. We're supposed to do these things. We're supposed to be more noble as the Bereans are. Searching these things out in the Bible to see if they be so. And if what your experience is doesn't line up with the word of God, then it's wrong. It's wrong. So, they, they go on to say, one speaker said he was not comfortable wearing the title of a Christian. One speaker said this at this Christian conference. He wasn't comfortable with that title. Well, at least he was being honest. At least he's being honest. He was an aspiring Christian. That's what he called himself. He was not comfortable. So in other words, an aspiring Christian would imply work's going to get you to heaven, don't it? Well, I'm not quite there yet. No, you're not even close, number one. Number two, you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Second, sec, uh, Ephesians 2.11 So you're not saved because you're not quite there yet. You're aspiring to get saved. You're saved through grace, through faith. It's a gift, and you receive it. It's not of works. Why? Because lest any man should boast. God will not share His glory with anybody. You can't boast about it if God's going to get the glory. But a lot of people want to boast about it. Oh, look at me. I'm, I'm this wonderful Christian. God doesn't see it that way. It says that he was an aspiring Christian. He was not comfortable wearing the title. Um, and then we were told, uh, let's see. I'll just read this whole thing. He said he was not comfortable wearing the title of Christian. All of this was in the Imaginarium tent where this took place, which was Bob Pacento's favorite tent. We were told at the Cornerstone Festival before he passed away. Evidently, they were honoring this guy named Bob Pacento. Um, to give tribute to Bob, this man that had passed away, a skull was placed on the altar of the dead for him. The altar of the dead? A skull was placed there at a Christian conference? Skulls and pictures were also placed to remember Mr. Rogers. Remember Mr. Rogers? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a wonderful day. In... Remember that guy? Could you be mine? Would you be mine? Remember that? Yeah. Mr. Rogers. However, it was not a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It was a satanic night at the days of the dead. <laughs> but then again, the other people there seem to be having a fine time. I guess it was just our team of women who did not feel comfortable writing a name writing a name of a dead loved one on a sugar skull and placing it in a shrine. <laughs> I mean, this is incomprehensible what I'm reading here. I walked away from this and I was even just 
I didn't. I mean, I'm like, I gotta go lay down somewhere after I read this. A tribute was given to was made to Batman of the Batman and Robin fame. There were pictures of glowing of. There were the pictures in the glowing dead shrine of everyone from Rosa Parks to Mr. Rogers, evidently to Batman. One woman walked up to the podium and gave a tribute to Flannery O'Connor. Is that Father Flannery? No, no, no. Who's that? I'm not even sure that is. Hold on. Okay, getting back. Evidently, Flannery O'Connor, I was just informed, is was a pretty much died in the wool hardcore Catholic who's portrayed as a Christian writer, but, you know, it don't matter. You can call it Christian. You can, you know, just because you live in a garage doesn't make you a Cadillac. So there should be fruits following of Christianity, and it shouldn't be denying the faith by your very theology that makes you a Christian. That, that actually discounts you from being a Christian, I would say. Because the Bible says, and Jesus said, by their fruit ye shall know them. So this was another woman that was was honored on this altar of the dead. Many would speak to the dead people, saying, quote, I just want to thank so-and-so for all he or she has taught me, as if the person's spirit was there to hear them. Now this is this reminds me, this, this smacks of um, Shintoism, and Taoism, and Confucianism, and all these Eastern mysticism religions that employ worshiping of, of the dead of your ancestors. They employ what they call ancestor worship. Okay? They worship their ancestors. Um, and that's, that's what this is smacking of to me when I read this. said, so no clarification was made on how we should not speak to the dead according to the Bible, of course, because that's called necromancy when you speak to the dead. It's forbidden. It's an occult practice. Um, it is basically nothing more than fortune telling um, or... Uh, any of this junk. It's terrible. So, we go on further, and it says a skeleton was placed in a casket on the side of the room surrounded by trash on the floor. Okay, so that's what they were they were doing. I, it just, I can't even, this isn't even comprehensible to me. Celtic abstracts were posted on the walls as well as excerpts from teachers such as Thomas Merton. I don't know who that is. Celtic means they're of the Celts, and the Celtic religion was um, a very satanic religion that originated in the British Isles, of which the Druids were the high priests over the Celts, and it was satanic to the core. It's where we get all of our Halloween festivities from. Basically, they came from the Celts. Someone mentioned the idea of singing a hymn, and a teacher jeered. A hymn? We can't sing a hymn in the Imaginarium. The teacher heckled the comment extemporaneously as if the hymns were too out of date and inappropriate. Um, and then they go on to say, I would agree that hymns certainly would not fit with the spirit at work in this place. Hymns would oppose such a spirit for sure. Eerie music was played as the people walked up to the shrine or altar to place a sugar skull or flowers on behalf of the dead. Horror films were lauded, and they were taught from Gretchen, Gretchen Passantino that there was nothing wrong with celebrating Halloween since it's All Saints Day. So there was a night designated for costumes at the Imaginarium in celebration of Halloween. Our team heard several explicit details of the sex life of several of these teachers. 
um, we learned much about air from the Trinity, from a teacher at the school who happened to be covered with tattoos. Um, in the quote prayer tent, we were told to take off our shoes and walk in the labyrinth. And the labyrinth is like these complex um, tunnels, which is totally new age, and it's something that Harry Potter teaches heavily. That you go through these labyrinths and in in, in these mazes, and, and uh, it's demonic. It's just satanic to the core. No children under the age of 14 were allowed to enter without their parents. The teacher asked me if I would like to journal. She handed me a mind-numbing maze to follow on paper on which to journal. At the end of the prayer walk, after participants had been given a choice of verses to read over and over as they walked around the sacred ground, they came back to report what God had shown them while they were walking the mantra path. The mantra. Well, that's totally a New Age type of deal. Um... The mantra is like when you hear somebody and like you see them in like a lotus position with their legs crossed and they're like this and they're going om om and they cope going over and over and over again. That's called the mantra. It gets you in an altered altered state of consciousness so the demons can come in you better. That's why that's why they do it because they're trying to open themselves up to the demonic realm and this is a way they can alter their subconscious in order to permit that. So. Um, this is, um, one lady said, as I walked along, I felt one thorny area, you know, as they're walking in this labyrinth. So I avoided that area. But then, as I was almost done with the labyrinth walk, I realized I should have walked on the thorns for God, since Jesus suffered for me. She looked like she was going to cry. The teacher nodded in sympathetic agreement. It was all I could do to remain silent and not explain to that poor woman that we were called to be a different kind of suffering. Suffering that makes one proud in one's own humility is not the right kind of suffering. It's extremely hard to sit through all these sessions and not say anything. Now what this reminded me of was when you go, you go to the shrines of the Catholics, like in Medjugorje and, and all these places where they go, they go to Mother Mary or the Mother of Medjugorje or all these people, they, they view as Mother Mary, and they'll go there and you'll see old women or men on their knees, on cement, on bare knees, on cement, shuffling around, walking on their knees around the church or around wherever the sanctuary is, showing what good Catholics they are. And their knees are all bloody, and they, and, and but they're they're showing how good and, 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 and what good Catholics they are and, and how they're willing to suffer for their demonic um, Mother Diana, Mary, satanic demon, devil, fallen angel they're worshipping they're willing to do that for their devil they're willing to do that for their it, it reminds me of in the Bible when it talks about how the, the high priest went, when Elijah went up there and challenged the, uh, the priests of Baal how they cut themselves and they did all these things Okay. well the devils the devils just love that just, just make an idiot of yourself and a fool of yourself and, and, but yet you look real religious all, all along when you're doing this junk so when, when we start talking about suffering with this type of stuff, that's what this reminded me of. It said, <clears throat> then he goes on to say, One day a woman on our team could not take it anymore and raised her hand to comment. She said to one of the teachers, Galatians 3.28, um, Taken in context is only pertaining to salvation. 
John Trott interrupted the conversation from the opposite side of the room to change the subject, announcing, but women have gifts too. Now hold on, let's just look at Galatians 3.28 so we can better clarify what this is in reference to. Galatians 3.28 And there be neither Jew nor Greek, neither is there bond nor free, for there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ. Okay. I'm not exactly sure how, I don't think there's enough detail given in it, but this one man said, but women have gifts too, the women on our team thought. Galatians 3.28 only pertains to salvation taken in context. We have found a popular tactic among these teachers is to change the subject when they are wrong about something. So ultimately they, they confronted them about some biblical truth, and what they'll do, what these teachers will typically do, probably because they're demonically led, is they just change the subject. Well, let's get on a different subject and let's ignore what the question was. We learn that absolute truth can lead to problems. Well, in other words, they got a big problem with the Bible. You know, yeah, there is a lot of problems reading the Bible. It's not fun. There's a lot of stuff in here that's not fun or likable to read, but that doesn't change the fact that it's the Word of God. So, sure, for them it's going to lead to a lot of problems because for them they got so much stinking sin in their life that... If they went by the Bible, they'd be just flat out miserable. That's why there's a lot of problems in it. For them, particularly, it often births self-righteousness. They're saying the Bible's absolute truth often births self-righteousness and judgmental attitudes. Well, sure it will. You're right. He who spiritual judgeth all things. We should accept everyone and not push our truth off on anybody. Wow. A lot of people get saved doing that. That's exactly what the devil wants. Yeah, just keep on doing that. Everybody would go to hell if everybody did that. We were also taught to show kindness to people with no motive for evangelism. A woman in this tent, teacher, or a woman in this tent shared her personal journey on how her husband stayed home and kept the first child while she finished seminary. <laughs> That's pastor. Yeah. Yeah, you got to throw a large portion of the Bible out on that one when you, when you talk about being biblically qualified to be a pastor. So the, the husband stayed home and kept their first child while the woman who's wearing the pants finished seminary. Could you... How could, how could a wife be in subjection, subjection to her husband when the husband's calling her pastor? That's an abomination straight from the pit of hell. And if anybody has any doubts about that, let me send you the clear Bible verses that are there that exist in regard to what the biblical qualifications for a pastor or deacon are, and it's the husband of one wife, not the wife of one husband. It never even says that. Because it's such a foregone conclusion that it's a man, that it's not even... It's, it's just it's a foregone conclusion. It's not even discussed. It's such a foregone conclusion in the Bible. So, he dropped out of school to stay with the baby while the wife continued her education. And she bragged on how much she felt supported by her husband for allowing her to continue to go to school while, she, while he stayed at home with the baby. She admitted she was the spiritual leader in the home. Huh. Oh. 
she admitted she was a spiritual leader in the home. She had graduated with honors and announced, I am smart after all, and God does have a big plan for my life. I sat thinking here thinking, too bad the girl did not go to seminary to learn more about Jesus for His glory. She went there to show everyone how smart she was and to wear the pants. And she now admits the inspiration behind her labor is to change the way men think about women and to obliterate sexism within the church. Oh, that's her, that's her goal. Well, she's going, she's anti-Christ. She's anti-Christ. She's against what Christ is telling us to do. It was humanism. And it is. Humanism. Or extension, extension, how do you, how do you say that word? Extension, uh, extensional, existentialism. Humanism. What is existentialism? It's when you go by your own experiences and that's your reality. Well, this seems right to me. This is my experience. This is how I feel. Who cares how you feel? Who cares? It doesn't matter one bit if you compare it to the Word of God. If you're going to go to hell, and every single person will go to hell, if they just go by their feelings, well, it feels right to me. God wouldn't do that. God's a loving God. He'll never do You're going by your feelings, and your feelings will fail you, and you'll wind up in hell for eternity. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? That's what humanism is. Existentialism. That's what these people are doing. They're going by their experiences and throwing out the Word of God and calling themselves Christian at the same time. They go on to say, I wondered, where is Jesus in all of these goals she has set for him? It seems to me goals are, are it seems to me goals are more for women. Evidently that was part of her teaching. One man on the this panel admitted the thought of being a leader in the home was a lot of responsibility. Oh boy. It was obvious he did not want that sort of responsibility. Yeah, because all you got now is a bunch of spineless, backboneless men warming the pews of America, including the pastors. And they're letting this they're and they're letting this junk go on. The men should be putting their foot down and and not letting this go on. It's ridiculous. It's against God, it's an abomination in the sight of God, and they're probably gonna burn in hell for it. I'm sorry. They're probably most likely going to burn in hell forever because they're not even saved. They don't have a backbone. They're not doing... They're, what they're doing is not of the Bible. They're letting the women rule over them. Where's the fruit of the Spirit in any of that? The Bible says, Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. I'm not saying 100% that every single one of these, these men that are tiptoeing through the tulips are, are all unsaved. That's God, that's between them and God. That's between them and God to judge that. But I'm saying the majority of them aren't. There's no way. Especially in this in this setting that I'm talking about here. And if you and if you let this go, all it's gonna do is get worse and worse and worse. A little leaven leaven at the whole lump. Um some very surprising teaches, teachings were disseminated by this apologist named Gretchen Passantino um, said we saw a sign that read Anum Cara in the merchant tent at the table for a rock group I asked what does Aaron Cannon Cara mean the boy who looked about 15 year old answered innocently saying quote someone told me it means spirit friend I asked what is the language he gave a popular answer there at the camp I don't know. <laughs> they don't know. Meanwhile, youth were standing in line for tattoos 
and gagging. I asked, what does gagging mean? The girl who was plying, plying the gagging holes in ears of the Christian youth answered, it means, oh, it means nothing. I looked it up later and found that gagging is a practice of voodoo worship in African tribes. I don't, or gauging, I think, you know what I think this is? I think it's when they, they take the, the, the ear holes and they start expanding them. Because it was it, the girl who was plying the gagging holes in the ears of the Christian youth. So in other words, these are these are these are Christians that are going there. Christians, people that are going there. And you ever see these 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 people? And they've got these. Well, if you look in pagan cultures, some of these cultures they've got their their skin in their ear. They've got big bowls. They've stretched it all their life. And now what they're doing is is they're is they're opening these holes more and more and more. Because it's, it's like an ever form of, of piercing your body in an ever increasing way. You see these people in, in these ancient cultures, they do it to the bot, their bottom lips. They come out, well that's straight from the pit of hell. Now the, now the Christians are doing it. I, see, I, I saw a guy the other day with one of those holes in his ear. With, with, I mean, it was a real big one. I, I, mean, I mean, I see that. It, it, it's, it's so, they, they look so asinine and stupid, number one. And... and Yet, they think it's cool. They think it's neat. Uh, straight from the pit of hell. So, that's what they were doing at this Christian... Yeah, this comes from voodoo. Voodoo and African tribes. That's where it's, it comes from. While the others were, were researching our last day there, I set out with fact sheets. Um, uh, they Basically, they were telling you how they gave these fact sheets out, and most of the people they gave them to were actually receptive. Probably because they're so non-discerning, they really wouldn't reject a whole lot of anything. Um, um, just see if there's anything here. I think I think I covered I covered everything on this this thing. So anyway, that's that's the the state of Christianity in America. Um, pretty pretty sad state of affairs. But I'm going to expose it to my dying breath. Um, because I think we're, we're called to expose evil when we see it. And, and that is, if I've, I've read anything evil, that is one of the most evil things I have ever read in my life in regard to having the veneer of a Christianity on it. But we're going to see more and more of it. And um, I'm going to get back to the, uh, to the Bible study here we were doing before. And... Um, Uh, we, t- we talked last week about the uh, different ways that we can get our prayers answered and different ways that things that we can do in order to make sure our prayers are answered. And we had talked about the fear of God and humility and contriteness before the Lord. And um, all of the blessings connected with the fear of the Lord with being as right as you can before the Lord in order to get your prayers actually answered. And how humility and fear of God are all connected. Okay, and how it's so important. Well, I'm just going to start on the second page there today. And in Psalm 103, verse 13, I'm just going to continue with what we were doing last week. Psalm 103, verse 13 says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Well, don't you really want God's pity? I do. 
I want his mercy. I want his. Some I heard some guy yesterday saying on a Christian radio, "We don't need. We don't need God's mercy. We need." And I thought to myself, "What an asinine statement." He says, "All we need is the blood of Jesus, or something like that." And yes, yes, granted, that's how we, we we obtain mercy. But he's he's acting as though we don't need it. It's almost as though we're under the blood, and we don't even. I'm sorry. I want God's mercy. If I'm wrong, God show me. I still want His mercy. I'm still, I'm still not perfect. Do, 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 do I sin? You know, every every day, pretty much like yes. That doesn't mean I'm I'm trying to actively participate in sin. Doesn't mean that I am trying to live as righteous. Yes, it does mean that. But does that? The Bible says that that the thought of foolishness is sin. Now that's if you can tell me, you can go the whole day and not think one thought foolish thought in your head come in your mind well you're better than I am because I got a lot of the world that, that, that still keeps knocking on the door reminding me of my past and a lot of it's the devil bringing it up a lot of it's because it's burned into my my, my hard drive called the brain and that world and that 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 stuff from the past every once in a while is going to pop into your, your realm of thinking does that mean I'm not safe? no it doesn't mean that at all but I want God's pity I want His mercy. You know? The Bible says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Well, what if you don't fear him? Well, I don't fear God. I just think He's a God of love. I don't fear Him. Well, you will someday. If you make it into heaven, which I doubt you're going to make it in with that kind of mindset, because I don't think you're even saved, most likely. You're going to be saved probably most likely yet so as by fire. You're going to have everything burned up at the judgment seat of Christ in the form of wood, hay, and stubble. Wouldn't it be better to fear God in this life? Aren't we to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? Was that fear of man? No, it's the fear of God. But this is not what's preached on in the pulpits. Psalm 103 verse 17 says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him. Wow, mercy? From everlasting to everlasting. Maybe maybe the fear of God is something we need to pray for. I pray for it not only for myself, but for my little girl and for the body of Christ. For those that I pray for. I pray for the fear of the Lord for them. Because I know that the fear of the Lord, as I've said before, takes care of so many other things in our Christian walk. If we have that one thing operating, it takes care of so many other things that you don't get messed up in. Then it says, "...in righteousness unto his children's children." So now, hold on. "...but mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him." "...in his righteousness, God's righteousness, unto children's children." So, do you want God's righteousness to be on your children's children? Well, that's connected with fear of the Lord too. So this has an implication in regard to your children too. So, see, people a lot of times they they think of fear of the Lord in this negative connotation. I don't think of fear of the Lord in a negative connotation whatsoever. Because all I see is blessings connected with it. I see blessings. But these aren't the kind of blessings people want to go through to get. They want it the easy way. They don't want it. They don't want it this way. They want to do it on their terms, and God will not have it that way. I look at the fear of the Lord like the best thing since sliced bread. Well, I don't want to compare it to that, but I mean, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. 
I look at it like the best thing that we can attain once we've been saved, I believe if we could just have one attribute working in our life after we get saved, fear of the Lord would take care of so many other things. Humility would be a foregone conclusion if fear of the Lord. Well, that takes care of so many different things if you're humble. Because God ain't going to hear a proud person. It's a prerequisite for God hearing our prayers. Fear the Lord. I'm proving that through the Bible. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm just giving you verse after verse after verse how this works. Psalm 111 verse 5 says, He hath given meat unto them that fear Him. Now, we were talking earlier about, well, what if we got in a situation where we didn't have any food, we didn't have any water, who knows? Maybe we're living out in the woods. Well, he fed Elijah out in the desert with birds. Took him to the to the to the brook where there was water. The Bible says here it says he hath given unto them he had given meat. Meat means food in the new, in the King James. Meat means food. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. Well, maybe that's one of the ways we're going to appropriate godly provision. Moving into the times we're moving into. Maybe maybe we'll be forced to flee and we won't have any provisions. We won't have any gold. We won't have any silver. Maybe we'll have the, the, the clothes on our back. But you know something nobody can take away from you? If you, if you fear God. If you fear God, this may be the very reason that God does feed you in the desert. And I think, I think it's clear here. It says, He hath given meat unto them that fear Him. What if you don't fear God? Well, God's just a God of love, and I'm just going to be this, this whimsical Christian flipping around the universe, doing whatever I want to do. You know who's going to get mad at God first when it gets bad? Those Christians. Well, this isn't the God I serve. No, it's not. No, it's not the God you serve, is it? Because the God you serve is the devil. You're going to get a rude awakening when that all happens. You didn't read your Bible. You did not study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 So, that sounds pretty good to me. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. Then it says, he will be mindful of his covenant. He will be ever mindful of his covenant. It means that, that God, if you fear him, he will be mindful of the covenant he's made with you. What covenant could he be in reference to? Well, in the day and time and dispensation we're living in now has to be salvation. Because that's the only covenant that counts anymore. Jesus Christ, it said, is a better covenant. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. Does that mean that, that I sin, that grace may be abound? No, God forbid. But we're not under that Levitical law that we were under before. He will be ever mindful of this covenant. To who? To them that fear Him. Well, you know something? If times get really bad, and things get really nasty, and I'm fleeing for my life or whatever, isn't that the time I want God to be ever mindful of the covenant He's made with me? What if you don't fear Him? How is He going to take care of you in the times to come? Because you're going to live like the devil and expect for Him to take care of you? And if you're doing it now... Don't think you're going to do it when it gets bad, because you're just going to turn your back now. You better start now, because if you wait until that time comes, you're done. You're done. Your, your conscience has been good as seared with a hot iron. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.1, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared, with a hot iron. Well, that's where you're heading as a Christian if 
You just think that you're going to live like the devil up to this time and then, and then all of a sudden you're going to get right with God. Most likely it will not happen. I'm not saying to a small percentage it won't happen. But most likely, why would you want to put your eggs in that that basket with, with, with holes in it? You, you don't want to do that. And especially now, if you're listening to this, you, you've been shown the truth now anyway. You're responsible for the truth. If you've been lied to by your pastor for a whole number of years, well, that's one thing. But that's exactly why the devil put that man in your life. To lie to you. That's bottom line. So, Psalm 145, verse 19 says, He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him? What's your desire? Do you fear God? Is it a godly desire? I don't think I don't think wanting to be taken care of if times get nasty or bad. Jesus said, it says, Pray that you be accounted worthy to escape all the things that are coming on this world. He said that. He said, pray you'll be accounted worthy. Let me tell you something. I don't think it's, it's a prerequisite. One of, the, one of the foregone conclusion prerequisites for being worthy is fearing God once you're saved. I, I think it's obvious by these Bible verses we're going over. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. Not, not desires that you may consume them upon your own lusts. That, that, that's not the kind of desires He's talking about. He's talking about Desires that line up with his desires. Do you have do you have a heart for the Lord? Are, are you trying to attain what the Bible what the Bible's words are teaching you to attain? Spiritual things. What is your desire? So they line up with the Word of God. And then it says, So he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. He'll hear my cry? Wow, that sounds pretty good. Do you want do you want God to hear your cry when times get really nasty? I sure do. But what if what if what if you don't fear him? Let's read it in the, in the reverse. Let's read it in the reverse. The Lord The Lord taketh no pleasure in them that do not fear him. Hmm. And he will also not hear their cry. And he will not save them. If it means it one way, doesn't it mean it the opposite? Now I'm not trying to change the word of God. I'm just trying to do that as an example. You can change, take all these verses and flip them around. Well, if it says this, what's the opposite of what it says? Well, see, since this is so black and white, we can do that in certain instances. So, there we go again. Fear the Lord. Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him. Pleasure? Do you know how few times God ever said He was pleased with anybody in the Bible? Ever? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased when He came up out of the water in John the Baptist? One time. Two times. When Solomon prayed that prayer. He said, Lord, I am as a little child. I know not whether to come in or go out. Because God said, I'll give you whatever you want. He didn't pray for riches. He didn't pray. See, that's what I mean about what's your desire. He didn't pray for riches. He didn't pray for um, all the material things, even though that's what he ended up getting into. But God was, God had blessed him and then he got the big head and he got with the wrong women. But this was before that happened. 
And so this thing, this thing that he did, it said, God, please, it pleased God, this prayer. I think that's the only two times in the Bible God ever said he was pleased with a particular individual was Solomon and Jesus. And I don't even think Solomon's in heaven. He fell away. Big time. He couldn't have fallen away any worse than he did. I mean, I believe at the end of his life he was in a human sacrifice. He was building altars to Molech and Chemosh. Those are the two main deities of child sacrifice. Molech and Chemosh. Well, Lilith too. But Solomon's not mentioned in, in the New Testament in, the, in the, um, the Hall of Fame of Faith or Hebrews. He's not mentioned there. But yet Rahab the harlot is. It's not so much how you start, it's how you finish. Okay, so Rahab the harlot finished all right. Well, she started off bad. Solomon started off great. But he finished real bad. <clears throat> Maybe I'll be wrong. I don't know. I hope I do see him there, but I don't think I'm going to. I really don't. I'd be surprised if I did. How could you get that far out of God? It doesn't say any place in the Bible where Solomon ever repented of his sins. I can understand if he even repented on the deathbed. But it doesn't say it anywhere. It's what happens when you take 700 wives and 300 concubines and they turn your heart away from God. And they turned, it said, they turned Solomon's heart toward their gods. He wasn't serving God anymore. He had turned his back on God willingly. I don't know. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. Um, and talk about somebody at a high accountability level. Somebody that actually had really talked to Solomon almost on a, on a not face-to-face, but he had heard the voice of God. God had blessed him in a greater way than he ever blessed any other man in the world. He, was, he had more wisdom than any other man that ever walked the earth save Jesus Christ. He was given more riches than any other man. He had more abundance, more... But, see, that's the problem. When you have that much, man, you better you better be humble before the Lord. You better really fear God because it'll be so easy for you to turn away from God at that point. Because all those things will turn your heart away from God, typically. So, it says that the Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him. Like I said, the Lord doesn't hardly ever say that He takes pleasure in very, very, very few things. Why? Because all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. For we are altogether as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Psalm 64, verse 6. Okay, so, it's hard to please God in that regard. Um, but if you fear Him, it says the Lord takes pleasure in them that fear Him. In those that hope in His mercy... Well, see, that's why when this man said, well, we don't need God's mercy. I hope in His mercy. I still hope in His mercy. I still remember the pit from whence I was dug and realized that I am only one bad move in my life of going back into that pit. So, (laughs) we need to be ever mindful of that. Luke 1.50 Now, this is Luke. Luke 1.50 says, And His mercy is on them that fear Him. From generation to generation. His mercy. That's how we obtain God's mercy. From them that fear Him? From generation to generation. Well, that implies that, you know, 
generational things there, which is in a good way. Ecclesiastes 8.12 says, Surely I know that they shall be well with them that fear God, that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before Him. Surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God. Do you want things to be well with you? Does that mean things are going to be just perfect? No, no problem. No, but that's another blessing connected with fear of the Lord. And then Psalms 2.11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Well, does that mean, I wonder if that has anything to do with working out on a salvation with fear and trembling. Serve the Lord with fear. Jesus said, be not afraid of them that, 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 that can cast, that can, you know, destroy the body. Be afraid of them that can cast both body and soul into hell. Jesus said that, not me. Well, why was he saying that? Just because he was having a bad day? <laughs> you know, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7. Well, all words, all scriptures given for inspiration, for doctrine, for reproof, for our rules of faith and practice, all scripture. So, I don't think Jesus was just having a bad day. Okay? Now, granted, everything needs to be taken in context. But, you know, everything's there for a reason. Philemon 2.12 says, New Testament, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have obeyed, always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So, they're talking about obeying. Obeying. <coughs> not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So you obey whether you're in front of godly people or not. You don't live your life a different way Sundays and live like the devil the rest of the week. You do it all the time. He says after he's concluded these things, obeying, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I don't know. That's what the Bible says. It's in the New Testament. Oh, well... well you implying that a man can lose their salvation? What I'm implying is that if you truly do get saved, you should be operating, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because that should be evidence of the salvation. Well, what do you mean? We're saved by works? No. But there should be fruit of the Holy Spirit living inside you. This is where I try to separate the things. There's fruit, okay? Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. All these. And there should be evidence of the Holy Spirit living inside you. Period. Well, what if I backslide? Well, the Bible says then at that point, whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you be without chastisement, you're a bastard. A bastard is an illegitimate son. So if you have this person that thinks they're saved and they backslide and they live like the devil and there's no chastening of God on their life, there's no conscience of sin or not, oh, I'm okay. I'm... Well then, most likely they're not saved because there's no conscience that they're even doing anything wrong. They're okay with it. Has their conscience been sealed with a hot iron as according to uh, 1 Timothy 4.1? Well, you could make a case for it. Sure. So, in other words, I, I don't want to get into works-based salvation here either. I want to, you know, separate the two. So then, 2 Chronicles 
7.14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, well, in the day and dispensation we're living in, now, in, in, their, in, their, in their dispensation, it would be... I guess you would, when this was written in Second Chronicles... Um, if you were dealing with Jews that were following the Torah. Okay? That's when this was written. But, in the dispensation we're living now, does this have application? Yeah. It says, If my people which are called by my name, in other words, a true, born-again, Bible-believing Christian. Actually, the word Christian is a very, very abused word today. But, the Bible says in Acts, it says they were first called Christians in Antioch. So the first Christians, and that's where the King James Bible ended up coming from, started in Antioch, and then we could get on that rabbit trail, but that's where they were first called Christians. Now, just because the name is abused today, in God's eyes, doesn't make it any less the fact. But if you're a Christian, then you should be a follower of Christ. And if you're a follower of Christ, you believe in Him, but you also do. It's not just enough to say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. He was a guy who came here and he did this and I'm going to live like the devil. I know. That doesn't take, that doesn't, that doesn't um, add up there. Can't do it that way. So, it says, if my people, which are called by my name. Now this is, if, if America, if the, if the remnant that was in America would do this, America could turn around. But they're not doing it. My people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, humble, and pray, and seek my face. Now, there's there's stipulations here. Humble yourself, you pray, you seek God's face, and turn from their wicked ways. Ooh, that sounds like repentance. Then, after you do those. We're really five. You got number one. You got to be a Christian. You got to be a Bible-believing Christian to be called His name. Then you got to humble yourself. Then you got to pray. Then you got to seek His face. And then you got to turn from your wicked way. If you do all those things, then will I hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Oh God, I can't believe all. Well, you know how much innocent blood is crying out from the land. Do you know how? You know how bad this land needs healed from all that innocent blood crying out. I mean, it's incomprehensible. Do you know why that I believe all these, these earthquakes and all these natural disasters and all these tornadoes and all these things that are ramping up and ramping up? Granted, the government's manipulating some of them because they can control the weather. But God's still on the throne. He's still letting it happen. I'm telling you, a lot of this is because the Bible talks about that, that, that nature itself groaneth and travaileth regarding the expectation of the sons of God. The manifest expectations of the sons of God. Uh, nature is in travail right now because of what's going on in the world. It, it really is. And it says that there's... Th- this is this is the solution. Second Chronicles 7.14 And it says they shall humble themselves. When I've told you, we've explained the connection between humility and fear of the Lord. So fear of the Lord is really implicated in this verse too. Now, let me ask you something. If you really fear God, wouldn't it just be a natural byproduct to do all these things? Remember what I said? Fear of, the God takes, fear of God takes care of so many other things. Now, if you really fear God, 
and you're a Christian, you're going to humble yourselves before God. You're going to pray. You're going to seek His face. And you're going to turn from your wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. What if you're not doing these things? Okay, let's reverse it like we did before. If my people, which are called by my name, shall not humble themselves and not pray and not seek my face and not turn from their wicked ways, then will I not hear from heaven and I will not forgive their sin and I will not heal their land. That's what's happening. That, what I just read you, is more real in this country than what's happening. Okay, and again, I'm not trying to change the word of God. I'm just do, doing this for an example. You want to not give your, get your sins forgiven? Well, they're all under the blood, brother. You didn't repent of them. You're sinning ongoingly and you're telling me they're under the blood. How can Jesus' sins... Yes, His blood is there for your redemption of your sins, but your sins are just automatically grandfathered in, even though you haven't repented of them. you got to still repent of your sins. You, you can't just go on in, 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 in sin after sin after sin, have no conscience of it, and say, well, they, it covers it all. I can live like the devil and I'll stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ and be, be okay. Because... His blood, essentially what they're saying is, is that His shed blood gives me liberty to live like the devil for the rest of my life. And I can just I can live my life in pleasure and wantonness and, and, and perverseness, and I'm going to be okay with God before when I stand before Him at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, number one, you're not going to stand before Him at the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to stand before Him at the great white throne judgment, which is where all people are going to go that aren't saved, that never got saved. The Bible says... Jesus said that many in that day will cry unto me, Lord, Lord. And I will say to them, Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity, I never knew you. Now let's break that down real quick. Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity, I never knew you. Well that implies that they were never ever saved. Number one. He never knew them? Does that imply, well I got I got saved and... and uh, and I just fell away and I backslid and, and now I'm unsaved. No, it doesn't say that. He says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Now, I, I take comfort in that verse because I believe the Lord knows me. I believe I'm saved. Okay? But he's saying, I never knew you. Could this be these pew Mormon Christians that call themselves Christians? that have never really sought out the Lord, that never really ended up getting saved, that believed everything that their lukewarm pastor that was brainwashed in his cemetery told them? Could, could it be that they bought into a line, a bill of goods that the Satan sold them? This feel-good gospel, where there's no repentance required, just live like the devil, he'll take you any way you are? Could it be they bought into that lie? And these were the ones that never knew God? I think it would be the most obvious choice. But it says, haven't we done many many mighty things? Haven't we cast out devils in your name? Haven't we worked many good miracles? It says, it doesn't matter. Because it says, they cry in him. If you hear, if you read that verse, it says they cry in him, Lord, Lord. Here's another thing. Lord, Lord. No, they want, they want him to be Lord now. But they weren't willing to make him Lord in their real life. When they were living on this earth... They wanted Him to be their Savior, but they didn't want Him to be their Lord. If they really wanted Him to be their Lord, they would have been in the Bible reading, What does the Lord require of me? Not because I'm trying to earn my way into heaven. But the Bible says to believe on Him. To believe on Him. If you believe on Him, you're going you're gonna to um, you're gonna try to follow the Bible as much as you can. 
That's why it's so important to memorize scripture, to read the Bible, and these types of things. So I guess I'm trying to trying to ferret that whole thing out and separate all that. Because they cry unto him, Lord, Lord, but Jesus, what's his response? His response is, Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity, I never knew you. They were never he was never their Lord. They cry unto him, Lord, Lord, but he was never their Lord. But but I accepted you as, as my Lord and Savior. We, the only thing you really wanted out of that whole deal was the Savior part. You weren't willing to make Him Lord. You just wanted the goodies. You wanted the Savior. You wanted you wanted God to be your heavenly bellhop up in the sky. They, they referred to Him as the big guy in the sky or whatever. That's what they wanted. But they weren't reading the Bible. Okay? So that's the difference when you get into this thing. So if we go we go further then, it says um, in 2 Chronicles 34.27, it says, Because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes. Now in the Old Testament, rending and ripping your clothes was, was, a, was a show of uh, you were really wanting to get right with God. And I mean, you didn't do it with, well, I'm going to do this and make this big show before God because you can't hide nothing from God anyway. But they, he rended his clothes and, they said, and did weep before me. I have heard thee also, saith the Lord. Wow. That's... I don't think I want to do that. Because thine heart was tender. Number one, you couldn't do it if you tried because God has to make you tender. You can't make your heart tender before the Lord. I think, how do you make your heart tender? Well, I think the first place starts fear God. Fear God. You have enough fear of God in your life and you go through enough, you'll be tender before God. You will be. He can, he can get you there. He knows how to do it. So because thine heart was tender... Now, it sounds to me as though this was the reason that God heard him. It says it at the end. It says, I have heard thee also. Why? Because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God. They humbled themselves. When thou heardest his words against this place, and the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and also didst rend thy clothes, and weep before me cried, he ripped his clothes, he humbled himself, his heart was tender, he listened to God's words. It says, I have, because he did all these things, I have heard thee also, saith the Lord. Wow, maybe this might have something to do with getting our prayers answered. Hmm. You hear this preached on a lot in churches. Oh yeah. Yeah. Remember that last time the pastor was up at the front ripping off his clothes in front of everybody, humbling himself? You know what else they did? Humble themselves in sackcloth and ashes. You ever do that? <laughs> I did it once when I when I went to that thing with Leslie. I did it. I I I went out. I I I tried everything I could possibly do to get a hold of God. Now I wasn't and I wasn't going around telling anybody about this or doing it so I could make an open show before man. In fact, I don't think I've ever told this to anybody. But I actually went out. I burned some stuff so I had ashes and I got in the bathtub and I threw ashes off. I did. I was trying so hard to get a hold of God and I thought, I can't, I can't think of a way to humble myself before God more than this. I put ashes all over me and I covered myself in the bathtub and I sat there and prayed. I did. 
And I mean, I God knows I'm not telling you this because I'm, I'm trying to be self-righteous like I'm so much spiritual, but because I don't ever tell anybody that. But I did do that, and, and it is pretty humbling. I mean, it's it's... But to me, I'm thinking... Whatever it takes, God. Whatever you want. Now, was I doing that because I was trying to earn my way into heaven or score brownie points with God? No. I, I wanted to get a hold of God. I, I really, really wanted to get a hold of God. And, and that was the... I looked in the Bible. I said, oh, they're all doing it. The king did it there. And that king did it. It's good enough for them. It's good enough for me. <laughs> you know something? He may do the very th- same thing to a lot of Christians coming into the times we're moving into. I don't have... I mean, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I praise God. Uh, I'm not gonna say it in a self-righteous way, like I'm so like I'm so great compared to anybody else, because I was a mess. But anyway, so then it says that um, in Psalm nine twelve it says He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. What if you're bawling your eyes out to God? Yet you're not humble before God. What if you're bawling your eyes out to God and okay, and you just walk and go your merry way and you live like the devil and then you get you get you, you know you get convicted about something and you're bawling your eyes out and you're, you're going around the same merry ground and you still got unconfessed sin and you're not repenting but you're still bawling your eyes out before God. But it says He forgiveth not the cry of the humble. If you're really truly trying to get right with the Lord and you're humbling yourself before the Lord and you've repented of your sin, that's the person that he forgetteth not the cry of. Well, could you could you switch this around and say he forgetteth the cry of the proud? Humility and pride are the exact polar opposite extremes. I'm just trying to do this in a way where we can kind of look at it two different ways. Yeah, he's going to forget the cry of the proud. You got these people that that, that weep and mourn and these other religions, and these other religions are works-based, and they're based on working your way into heaven, and they're based on pride. How can God hear their prayers? Well, I prayed to Mother Mary and St. Joseph and my God Buddha or whatever. Those devils, those fallen angels are laughing and laughing and laughing at you, thinking you are the biggest idiot on the planet. You're feeding into their demonic ego is all you're doing. And, 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 and it's a stench in God's nostrils. That's so. Psalm ten seventeen says, "Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear." He's heard the desire of the humble. Then it says, "Thou wilt prepare their heart." Well, you might say, "Well, I can't muster myself up into this. I, I don't. I don't have." Well. Pray for it then. Pray for humility. Pray for fear of God. Ask God to give you a tender heart. I mean, do you want Him to hear your desire? I don't. You shouldn't do it for, from a from a wanting to get your goodies standpoint. That shouldn't be your motivation because God won't hear that either. But it says, "Thou hast heard the desire of the humble; thou will prepare their heart." See, God knows how to prepare your heart in regard to these situations. Thou will cause thine ear to hear. See, you think you can't hear from God? It says, Thou will cause thine ear to hear. Thou, meaning God, will cause thine ear, your ear to hear. Can't hear from God? Well, it says He's heard the desire of the humble. Well, I don't feel that humble. Pray for it. 
Pray for fear of God. That's what I've done. I don't know what else to say. Does that mean I'm perfect? No. But something you can pray for. These other things will start falling in place once you get your prayer life lined up with what God's... I think one of the highest desires for God, for us, and again, I've said this, but I've said it in different ways, is that if we would humble ourselves before God and fear God, then so much of this other stuff just takes care of itself. Okay? He'll prepare your heart. Then He'll cause your ear to hear. He'll be able to hear your prayers, and He'll cause your ear to hear. What if you're proud? Then He won't hear you, and you're not going to hear Him. You want to cut yourself off from God? Don't humble yourself before Him. Don't have any fear. Live in pride. It's a great prescription for not getting your prayers answered. And But they'll always quote the verses, Oh, uh, the, Jesus said that... Um, you have not because you ask not. And, and, and that, you know, these type... Yeah, he did say that. But then it also says... And then it also says, Then you have not because you ask amiss, that you be consuming upon your own lusts. Well, is that your motivation? That you may consume it upon your own lusts? Well, he's not going to hear you. There's so many reasons... I guess the point I'm trying to make is there's so many reasons that God won't hear your prayer. Everybody's saying about, Well, we need to pray this and we need to pray this. But... Who cares what you're praying if God can't hear you? What good are you doing? Well, I was an intercessor for 40 years. How much of your intercession did God ever hear? If He heard 0%, what real good have you done? I stood before God and I devoted 40 years to intercession. But God could never hear your prayers because you lived in pride or vanity. You had no fear of God. You lived in some kind of feel-good gospel. Again, I might therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. There's going to be a lot of people that stand before God and that's going to be the case. And they'll be saved, yet so as by fire. Okay? And a lot of them aren't even saved. They're doing it almost like a Catholic would do it because it's like this form of penance where they're doing this and they're doing this and they're earning their way into heaven. So, it says then that... um, Proverbs 29.23 A man's pride shall bring him low. You want to be brought low by God? Be proud. He'll bring you low. you got a way to do it. But honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Hmm. That's pretty cool. That sounds pretty good. You want to be honored? No, I'm not saying in a vanity wise, but I'm saying honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Proverbs 15.33 The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. You want wisdom? You better ask for fear of the Lord. I think fear of the Lord goes before wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. This is how we get instructed in wisdom. Well, this is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. True knowledge, true understanding, true wisdom. Not world's wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom out there, but a lot lot of it's worldly, a lot of it's devilish. So, um, a man's pride should bring him low, but honor shall be... Okay, so the fear of the Lord is instruction wisdom. And before honor is humility. Before honor, you want to be honored? Well, before that, you, you better humble yourself before God. Before honor is humility. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Hmm. You want to be destroyed? Live proud. You want to be real haughty? Well, 
you know, that's fine, but but you're gonna you're gonna fall. You're gonna fall. Proverbs eight twelve. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. And before honor is humility. There it says it again. Before on, now when, when the Bible starts repeating things over and over and over, you have to kind of think, well, maybe God's really trying to say something to me here. Well, so, would it be better, oh God, honor me in this world? God's not going to honor you. What if you prayed for humility? You would never go to before, oh God, honor me in this world. Oh yeah, he's going to hear that prayer. No. But, what if you pray for humility and fear of God, and as a natural byproduct of that stuff, God honors you. Because it says that before honors you... Now, maybe you won't get all of the accolades in this. Maybe you won't get any accolades. Wouldn't it be better then to be honored up in heaven? Judgment seat of Christ? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Whoa. Praise the Lord. That's about as much as I could ever want to hope for. That'll take care of a whole lot. If If he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, then I can almost assure you that you're going to have crowns and rewards. Okay? I think that's a natural byproduct there. So, I made a comment here. Notice how humility and fear of the Lord are, are also connected with God's blessings. See, always, 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 humility and fear of the Lord are always connected with God's blessings. Whereas pride and haughtiness are always connected with God's wrath. You want God's wrath? Then live in pride and haughtiness. As a result, we should be continually praying for the fear of the Lord and humility in our lives as Bible-believing Christians. I sent this out on the internet, this study. Proverbs 22, verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Wow! I never read that. By humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life? Well, think about this. If God... And that don't happen with everybody, I know. But... If God could trust you with riches and honor in life, if He could, particularly with the riches part, He's going to do so by first humbling you and giving you the fear of the Lord. If He can, if He's really given you these things and you're to keep them, and, and, and this is to be part of your honor, well, it says by. Humility and fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Now, you got to be careful with this because you can get into the name it and claim it stuff and, and all this other, other junk that's going around there. So, but it does say it in the Bible. It says it right here. That if, I, if God were to ever give me riches, it would be through humility and fear of the Lord. Now, can He trust you if you're operating in fear of the Lord and humility? Yes! I think He can trust you if you're truly... Humbling and fearing before God. He gives you a whole bunch of stuff in the form of money or whatever, riches. Now He can trust you because you have humbled yourself because you do fear God. So therefore, you could take those those riches or whatever He gave you in that scenario and use them for the glory of God. How many people might get saved as the result of Riches given to a person that are applied the proper way toward the kingdom of God. I mean, let's face it. Missionaries got to eat. Um, um, orphans and widows got to eat. Uh, that all costs money. Sorry, but it does. If you were to apply that in that way, and sow that good seed into good ground, you don't know when you get on the other side of heaven how many people might have ended up getting saved because of what you did 
supporting missions, the right missionary, how you applied. That's what, that's what I look at. If you really want to boil all this down, all that's going to matter when, when we're said and done on this earth is God's name being glorified and how many people got saved. I mean, those are the two main things that I look at because so, it encompasses so many different things. And when, and when we get on the other side, that's all that's really going to matter, those two things. The Bible says in Matthew 18.4, it says, Whosoever therefore shall humbleth himself as this little child, Jesus said this, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Whosoever there shall humble himself as a little child? The same is greatest in the kingdom. Maybe that's why the Bible says they that are, that are last shall be first. And they that shall be first shall be last. Humble himself as a little child? <laughs> Man, I've been there many times. I like, honestly, I look forward to this because I, I know of all the blessings connected with this because I'm trying to earn my way into heaven. No. But I know what I am before God. And, with, and apart from God, the Bible says in John 15, it says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Okay, and I'll go ahead. I'm going to end there. You want me to go one more thing? I'll, I'll just do one more thing. Because I, I already mentioned this. So I just want to touch on them again. How did Solomon get his prayers answered? Now, I already touched on this, but I'm going to get into just a little bit more depth here. 1 Kings 3, verses 5 through 12. 1 Kings 3, verses 5 through 12. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream that night. And God said, Ask what shall, ask what I shall give thee. God said, Can you imagine? God tells you that? Woo. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth. Now, was David a perfect man? No. But he was a man after God's own heart. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> according as he walked thee in truth, and in righteousness, and in the uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. And now, O Lord, my God, Thou hast made Thy servant king instead of David, my father. And I am but a little child. Now, that takes a lot for a king to do this. And I am but as a little child, but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. And Thy servant is in the midst of two, and is in the midst of Thy people, which Thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for the multitude. Give therefore thy children an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad for who is able to judge this so great a people and the speech pleased the Lord. Again, we see that I think two times in the Bible. That God was ever pleased for any one particular individual. Jesus and Solomon. And the speech pleased the Lord. That Solomon had asked this thing. I think the thing that God was probably the most happy about with this whole thing was that he says, I am but, I am but a little child. I know not how to... Can you imagine if, 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 if you're, you had a daughter or a son and they were of age 
Because Solomon was of age, he was king, and they came before you and, and they bowed before you and, and, and they, they, they valued your wisdom so much that they said, Mother, Father, I am as a little child. I know, I know, I don't know how to come in or go out. I'm, I'm, I, you know, uh, granted, they wouldn't, it wouldn't be, you wouldn't do this before, for your heavenly Father, but I'm just saying, how would that make you feel if your child did that to you? It'd be pretty tough to be mad at them. You know? They're sitting there just totally humbled, saying, I can't do anything, you know. That's how God was looking down at Solomon. Well, that pleased God, because I don't think he could have done a whole lot more to humble himself, and yet he had a whole lot of reason to be proud if he wanted to be. He had a lot more excuse to be proud than we'll ever have. But yet he humbled himself in that situation, and he said, I am, I am but as a little child. I know not how to go in or come out. I mean, that's awesome. That is awesome. I always... I, 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 it's terrible what he ended up doing, but man, I respected him for that. Doing that. And he doesn't ask for the stuff. He doesn't ask for the stuff. He says, Give thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. And this is another thing that greatly pleased God. And he also acknowledged what God had done for David. And that he put and that and that and that through this whole thing, God had put his David's son, Solomon, on the throne. He acknowledged all these things. He acknowledged God's mercy. He acknowledged all these things. Now, again, can we apply this to our own prayer life? Sure, that's why I'm t- telling you this. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart. And then and then it says, and then to be able to judge between this so great a people. Again, the, Jesus says, "You ask not because you have not, and then you ask, and then you have not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust." He was not asking something that he could consume upon his own lust. He didn't say, "Oh God, give me talents of gold and silver that I be able to judge and gather this people. I'll, I'll rule them with an iron fist through my riches." No, he didn't say that. He never said that. His heart was really right with God. And if this prayer was contrived, if he was just saying, "Well, I think I, this is what God wants to hear." Yeah, I'm going I'm I'm to really humble myself before him. I'm, I'm going to put in a good show. God will see right through that. He'll see right through it. He'll see, he'll see right through him and, and know it's a lie. So you can't do it that way either. You can't fool God. So I'm telling you that the only way that you can really do this is to have the fear of God and humility already operating in your life so God can hear you, so that that prayer will be sincere. Because if you don't have fear of God and humility operating in your life, then He's going to see right through it. You can't fool God. So, and then it said, and, and God said unto him, what was the fruit of this prayer? Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked for riches for thyself, nor, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. That must be pretty important to God. Understanding to discern judgment. Oh, we mustn't judge. No, like this people were saying in that article. Oh, no, we mustn't judge these things. But God says that that it's that important. But thou hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. That's the thing that pleased God the most. That was the first thing he mentioned. But thou hast asked, and he meant it because he had fear of God, because he was humble. He really meant what he was saying. To discern judgment, behold. And that's all he said. He said this is the thing that pleased him. Because he asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. 
That's how important it is for us to have discernment and judgment and for us to ask for it. But he got to do it in the right heart. That's how important it is to God. This is the only other time in the Bible God ever said He was pleased with anybody. It's that important. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have even give thee, given thee a wise and an understanding heart. He's the only one that can do that. You want wisdom, you want understanding. You better have your prayer life in order. So that there was none like thee before thee. Neither after thee shall any rise like unto thee. Save Jesus Christ. He was the wisest man that ever lived before or after. Including Job. Because Job was before. Because it says right here, it says, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart so that there was none like thee before thee. Neither after thee. He was the wisest man, save Jesus Christ, that ever lived. And Jesus Christ was our Savior. You know? So I... The wisest just flat out, not including Jesus, that ever lived. One prayer changed everything. God's never done this in another person before, after, ever. And it was this prayer. Well, I don't... If I prayed that prayer, I wouldn't mean it. Then ask God to give you humility and fear the Lord so that you can get to this point where you do mean it. Because you cannot muster a prayer like this up. If you don't mean it, God will see right through you. And I just had a comment. It is apparent that Solomon's prayer embodied humility before the Lord and that his heart was pure before the Lord in the things that he asked for. Now the Lord we serve has not changed, as the scripture says in Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I change not. As far as individuals go, only Solomon and Jesus Christ are ever mentioned in conjunction with pleasing the Lord. I believe it said about Enoch that he walked with the Lord. And the Lord took him. So, I don't know about you, but that that's pretty heavy duty information there. The Lord's teed me in on this. When he taught me about fear of the Lord and humility a long time ago, he teed me in on this prayer that Solomon said. What if the body of Christ was truly seeking the fear of the Lord and humility and then all these other things will be added unto them? And they were doing it in the right heart. What if they were really doing that? If my people called by my name shall humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and shall heal their land? You want America to be healed? It could happen. I don't believe it's going to because... The Bible says it's going to get worse and worse. But, that doesn't mean that the true remnant can't pray and do this. It's just that, unfortunately, according to scriptures, it's most likely not going to happen on a very global scale. There's going to be a remnant doing it. But it's probably going to have to get really, really super nasty bad for this to happen. I think, if you were, if you were a father or mother, wouldn't you rather your child serve you when times are good, the same as he served you in times are bad, would you rather took a lot of really, really nasty stuff for that child to finally get right, where they would finally repent, or wouldn't it be better just to serve you when times were good and were bad? problem with Solomon is, is when times got even better after he was got done doing this, and he gave him all this wisdom, he took all those wives. First mistake he made is he took the Pharaoh's daughter to wife. First mistake, first wife. Well, 699 wives later and 300 concubines later, it's no wonder he got a little off track. 
I wonder if he was sacrificing his own kids to Chemosh and Molech. He said to build altars to them. Well, why would you build an altar to them? Those were child sacrifice gods. Was he sacrificing his own children at the end of his life? I don't know. I can't say for sure. But it seems kind of weird to me. He'd build these altars for child sacrifice and not be doing it. Could he fall that far? How could you go from being the only other man saved Jesus Christ that ever pleased God that ever the scriptures recorded? Okay? I'm not saying there's nobody else that's ever pleased God, but I'm talking about the scriptures say. To going as far as he went away. Pride. All of a sudden the fear of the Lord was gone. If he feared God at the end of his life, how could he be doing that stuff? It was gone evidently. Because the sin... And all of the demonic luggage he took on with all these w- women from all these other... He took them over. You can't have sexual relations with a woman who's demonically infested and not have those demons not infest you too. Granted, it took a thousand women to finally, you know, really get him off track. Well, the most godly man, that, one of the most godly men that ever walked the planet would probably take quite a bit. But, he, but the devil found a way to do it because he's very good at what he does. And he finally found a way for him to, to fall. And um, it's a sad, sad testimony. But I'll go ahead and uh, close this out in a word of prayer here. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord God, for this day and, and for all that you've given us and all your goodness and all your mercy, Lord God. And, and Lord, I, I just pray that, that whatever truth has been spoken today, Lord God, that, that you would... Lord God, I pray to God you burn it in our hearts. I do pray to God that we would walk in humility and fear the Lord, Lord God, every day more. And we would actually seek it, Lord God. Lord, because I believe it's just so important for us to be operating in these attributes, especially moving into the times that we're living, where we're moving into, Lord. I do pray, God, that you would protect the true remnant, Lord God. These in this room, God, even those that are, that are hearing this information for the first time, I do pray to God for your protection upon us, Lord God. But I pray to God that protection, Lord God, would be appropriated by us in a biblical way. Lord God, that you would have mercy on us, Lord God, that you would pity us, but Lord God, that you would do it for the right reason, God, that we would earnestly desire the fear of the Lord, in humility, Lord God, before thee, and that, Lord God, that you would use the body of Christ, your remnant, in a mighty way, God, I pray to God for our unsaved family members, I pray to God that you would visit them this night, in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord God, for these unsaved people that we're around, I pray to God if you have to hang them over to hell, Lord God, to get them saved, do whatever it takes. Better you hang them over to hell in this life, God, than they burn in hell for eternity. I pray to God that, Lord God, you just open their eyes to the truth. Give them hearts to receive, Lord God, eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray that, Lord God, for the body of Christ and you, even your true remnant, Lord, that, that, that we would every day get closer and closer to Thee, Lord. And that, Lord God, we would be pleasing to you, Lord God. And that, Lord God, we would humble ourselves before you and turn from any wicked ways we may be harboring. And that, Lord God, if we have no conviction of these things, God, that you would convict us of those. Oh, God, bring these things into our remembrance. Maybe we don't even know, know them as sin. And we're doing them. Lord God, these presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us, as your Bible says, that they will have over us if, if we just operate in them. And Lord, I, I do pray, God, that you bless this coming week, this coming month, this coming year. Lord God, that you would show 
the true remnant, the body of Christ, God, where you want us. Show us what you want us to do, Lord God, with things that we might that we might have. Whether it's finances, whether, whatever, whatever we may have that you've given to us, I pray to God you clearly show us, Lord God. For we are as little children, Lord God, not knowing whether to come in or go out apart from thee. We are nothing. We are nothing in the name of Jesus Christ. Nor, Lord God, do I desire to be anything apart from you because I know, Lord God, that the moment I, that I think I'm something apart from you, I am nothing. I just pray, Lord God, that, that we would be in right standing before you, Lord God, that our prayers would not be hindered, and that, Lord God, anything we're doing that could be hindering these prayers, God, you would convict us of these things, God. For if you do not show us, how will we know? We cannot know apart from you, Lord. We can't know anything or do anything apart from you, Lord God, other than live like a devil. So, Lord, I just pray, God, that, that you, um, you would hear our prayers, Lord God, and for your mercy. And we love you, Lord God. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.